You know why that's called Mary's song? Because she wrote it in Luke chapter 1. So if you want to turn to Luke chapter 1, that's where we'll be this morning. Luke chapter 1. Uh, how many of you in here this morning are college football fans? we have any college football fans? I know some of you are. I've, I've had conversations with some of you. Uh, I've always been a big college football fan, and one of the things that I've enjoyed over the last few years is they've finally started to have a playoff system for this Division I college football. So they take the top four teams. So it's not a perfect system. There's still a playoff committee that votes on the top four teams, but it's better than what we had. So it's exciting. However, the downside of college football is for about the last decade or so, there's been one team, one program that's been really dominant most years, and that's this school right here, Alabama. This is Tony, his family. This is their team, where they're from. Okay, the thing about Alabama is they are superstars. It's a star program, and because of that, they get star treatment. I believe they are favorites for the college football playoff selection committee. So they get this star treatment. For example, this year they lost the last, last game of the season, and they didn't win their conference championship, yet they're still in the playoffs. They're still one of the top four teams. So my dream, and I, I think that maybe you share this with me if you're a college football dream fan, my dream is that someday the empire of Alabama will fall to the ground. Is anybody else with me on that? Yeah. yeah. Sorry, Tony, but it fits the example of what I want to talk about. And that, you know, that got more excitement than most things we talk about uh, biblically. So you've got to show some excitement later on in the lesson, too. But if that were to happen, say Alabama was overlooked and they were no longer the favorites, and then some lowly school all of a sudden got some attention and became the favorites, we would call that a great reversal in college football. But in the social world, we might call that Mary's story or Mary's song. That's what takes place in Luke chapter 1. Is it's not the mighty, it's not those who sit on thrones, but it's the lowly who God pays attention to and God works through. I want to read our text this morning, which is Luke chapter 1, verse 20, 26 through 38, and then I want to go to God in prayer before we really get into this lesson. Luke chapter 1, verse 26 and following. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was perplexed by his words and pondered what sort of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for now on you have found favor with God. And now you will conceive in your womb and you will bear a son and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom there will be no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? The angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be holy, and will be called the Son of God. And now your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month for her who was said to be barren, for nothing is impossible with God. Then Mary said, Here I am, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. And the angel 
departed from her. Let's pray. Father, we are blessed to be here this morning. Lord, as we take time this morning to read from what we call the Bible, what is your inspired scriptures, Father, that still is alive and active today, Lord, we pray that not because of what I say, but because of what your word teaches us, Lord, that you will change our lives. Speak into our lives, speak into our hearts and our minds, and change us, Father, through your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the angel appears again. Last week we, we looked at Zechariah and his song, and an angel appears to Zechariah while he's in the sanctuary. It's a big surprise. 400 years of silence, according to them, is broken. And Zechariah and Elizabeth, in their old age, they're going to give birth to a son and name him John. Now here, the angel Gabriel shows back up. This time it isn't in Jerusalem in the temple. The angel doesn't show up in Jerusalem this time. The angel doesn't show up in Rome, which is where the emperor lived. The angel shows up to Nazareth, a town that we only know about. We only know that name because of Jesus. Had it not been for Jesus growing up in Nazareth, we would have never heard of it. Nazareth was in Galilee, Just three or four miles north of Nazareth was Sepphoris, which was the capital of Galilee. Sepphoris was a very large city, a Greco-Roman city, that was being rebuilt during the life of Jesus. So some speculate, you know, maybe Jesus and his dad spent time rebuilding that city. Everybody had heard of Sepphoris, but nobody had heard of Nazareth. At the time, Nazareth only had about 500 people that lived there, maybe less. It's a town with not a great reputation, a very lowly town. Nothing good can come from Nazareth, as Nathaniel says in John chapter 1, and yet this is where the angel is sent. Out of all the places in the world, to some seemingly random person, to an insignificant town called Nazareth. And the angel comes to Mary and disrupts her life interrupts her life. She's a young girl. She's engaged to be married to Joseph. And other than that, most people probably have never even heard of her. And in verse 26 through 31, twice the angel says, you're the favored one, that God has favored you. So what does that mean? I mean, we all have our favorites. We have favorite teams, favorite foods. As I mentioned already, the College football playoff committee has a favorite team, and that's Alabama. You know, we all choose our favorites. But what does it mean to be favored by God? What I find ironic in this is that the angel says, you are favored, and yet she's about to become unfavored in her community. Because people are going to look at her and say, here's a girl that's engaged, that's not yet married, but she's pregnant. And the whispers and the gossip that will go on about her, she might become unfavored to those around her, but yet favored by God. The school that I grew up at had a dance every year around Valentine's Day called the Favorites Dance. So this is different than prom or homecoming. And it was special because leading up to this dance, you had to vote. Each class, freshman, sophomore, junior, senior, you would vote on class favorites. And some point during the dance, they would announce who the freshman class favorites were, sophomore, and so on. And there was two guys and two girls for each class. 
which just saying that sounds ridiculous to me that we had a favorites dance and we voted on who our favorites were, but guess who were always the favorites? Athletic, attractive, popular, and probably a pattern of being wealthy also. You could just look across the board, and they printed them in the yearbook in case you forgot, and those were the class favorites every year. That's how we, whether or not you would say, well, I don't do that, but that's how we do this from a worldly point of view. That's how we choose people who are favored. But the angel doesn't appear to Mary and say, blessed are you favored one. Because you're attractive and well-known and you come from this big city that everyone knows, that's not what the angel says. Instead, it's the exact opposite. From some obscure village that most people have never heard of, a young girl probably like Zachariah and Elizabeth just lives faithfully in the routine tasks of everyday life. And God chose her. Verse 32 and 33, the angel gives the descriptions of this child that she's going to give birth to at some point, and his name's going to be Jesus. He's going to be something great. He's going to be the son of the Most High God. He's going, to, he's going to have a throne, a kingdom. But his kingdom will be different because his kingdom will never end. And then in verse 34, she kind of gives a similar reaction that Zechariah gave. Remember that from last week? Zechariah said, how can I be sure of this? You know, we're old in age. Mary says, how can this be? It seems like Zechariah is looking for proof, and Mary's just looking for information. I'm, I'm a virgin. So how can this be? Nobody's going to believe it. Why would you choose me out of all people? Which, by the way, this was not some fantasy that was created several generations later. That generation and the, gen- the generation immediately following this generation believed in the virgin birth. So it's not something that was tacked on 400 years later. This is a part of the story. So, how's this going to happen? Verse 35, the angel says, the Holy Spirit will overshadow you. This is how it's going to happen. It's going to be something that's never happened before and never will happen again. He, the angel tells Mary about her relative Elizabeth on her pregnancy. And then in verse 37, the angel says something that I think is a great theological statement. Nothing is impossible with God. It's a pretty strong statement. You know, to be honest with you, sometimes I wrestle with whether or not I believe that. I know I want to believe it, and I think I believe it. But here's this angel appearing to this young, insignificant, insignificant girl, and he says... This is what's going to happen. Trust us. It can happen because nothing is impossible with God. And then I love Mary's response in verse 38. Let me read it again. She says, Here I am, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. She is the handmaid, which is a, the Greek word that's used there for slave. It's the feminine form of slave. Have you ever felt like maybe you're in Mary's situation, like you're just kind of a nobody? You know, know, sometimes I feel really insignificant, and I think, why would God care about me? Why would God want to use someone like me, just some guy from East Texas? But in the story of Mary, we see that God pays attention to everyone. Even if you feel like you're nothing, 
That's not the case in God's eyes. Have you ever felt like maybe God's calling you to do something, prompting you through the Holy Spirit to go talk to someone or do something, and it may just be up to you to just say yes? What Mary does here, she says yes. I don't understand any of this. She doesn't say, well, I'm not qualified. I think you messed up. Why don't you go choose someone else? She just says, okay, I'm the Lord's servant. Yes, I will go do it. And maybe, maybe you're in a place like that in your own life. Or maybe God's asking you, calling you, prompting you to go and to do something or talk to someone, and maybe you just need to say yes. That's the example we get from Mary. She says yes, and in saying yes, she becomes what we call the in Greek, the Theotokos, which means the birth giver to God, or the smuggler of God. She becomes the mother of God incarnate himself. What seems like an impossible situation is made possible through God, and Mary gets to be a part of it. So after this angel appears to her, if you're in Mary's shoes, you know, what are you thinking? How do you process this? Well, she doesn't have to do it alone. Luke tells us in verse 39 through 45, I'm not going to read that section, but Luke tells us that she travels south. She goes to Judea where Elizabeth, her relative, was already far along in the pregnancy with John, John the Baptist. And she goes to her, and she has a place to process her fear. Mary's not alone, and Elizabeth is not alone. You know, I see kind of the parallel between that And anything that you might be going through, I mean, that's a part of what church is all about. You're not alone. You you have a place to come and to process your fear. There are people in this room that have gone through something similar, and you're not alone. And Mary was not alone. God did not leave her all by herself. So she travels to visit Elizabeth. They spend some time there together. Elizabeth seems to know what's going on. And then Mary responds to this in a very similar way than we saw last week. Zechariah, when he finally got his voice back after nine months of not being able to speak, Zechariah praises God and writes a song. We call it the Benedictus. So Zechariah gets a song, and Mary gets a song. In Luke chapter 1, verse 46 and following, Mary writes a song. It's the song that Tony just led us in. The Magnificat, which is a Latin word for magnify. Those are the first few words of the song. Well, why a song? Like, Why does Zechariah get a song? Or why does Mary get a song? Or in chapter 2, uh, what we're going to talk about next week, Simeon's song, even though it doesn't seem like a song. And then you also see that the angels have a song. Why does everybody get a song? What's the deal with songs? I have a friend who's a songwriter and a musician. And he said to me on numerous occasions, music has a way of transporting us into a transcendent place. And I just say, that's a lot of big words, but I think I know what you're saying. He believes in what music can do, and we may not like the same types of music, but music speaks to our souls, right, in a way that maybe nothing else can. We have different types of music that we like during different seasons of life. Right now, a lot of you are probably listening to Christmas music. And some of you refuse to listen to Christmas music until December 1st. Some of you started that a long time ago. 
Uh, I have an app called Spotify, and Spotify has uh, music for different situations throughout your day. So if you have a drive to work, there's a morning commute, and you can click on that, and it plays songs that fit your morning commute. If you're in a bad mood, you can click on the Mood Booster station, and it'll play songs to boost your mood. There's a station for workout songs. There's a station for when you're in the shower, and you can play these types of songs. There's even a station for breakup songs. So if somebody breaks up with you, you can play sad songs. You know, these songs connect with us depending on what we're going through. And what we see with Zechariah and with Mary especially is it's a song of praise. That God has done something which seems impossible, and he chose them, and he's working through them. So their response is to turn around and to praise God. And she writes this song. Luke chapter 1 and verse 46. This is our scripture reading this morning. She starts by saying, My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. So she's writing these words from a very deep place. Luke tells us throughout his gospel, that Mary often would ponder these things in her heart. So when she says, my soul magnifies the Lord, my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, I think that comes from a very deep place within her. But then these next words, verse 48, for he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed. But that top line I'm reading from the New Revised Standard Version in verse 48 says, he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. Uh, some of your versions, if you're reading from the NIV, say that you have been mindful of the humble state of his servant. Now, I don't think what Mary is doing is bragging. She's not saying, I'm humble, so God remembered me. I live like a humble person. That's not what she means. She means she's lowly. She's from this insignificant town called Nazareth. She's a nobody. She is in a lowly state, a very humble state, and yet God has been mindful of her. God has paid attention to her situation when the world did not. And the way Mary sees things, she sees things uh, upside down. It's a great reversal is taking place. That's part of the theme of this song is the great reversal. There was a professor that started a new position at a university in Cambridge, theology professor. And when he viewed his office before he moved in, he didn't like the way the office looked. So he requested that the bookshelves be painted, the room painted, new furniture, and for this rug to be removed. And he shows up on the first day to move in, and everything's painted, there's new furniture, it looks nice, but that nasty old rug is still in there. So he requested again for the rug to be removed, and then the next day shows up and the rug is still in there. So he's starting to get irritated, and he starts to roll up the rug, and he's just going to throw it out himself, go throw it in the trash. And he found another professor, and he explained what was going on, and he's like, they won't get rid of this rug. And that professor told him, well, probably because that rug belonged to C.S. Lewis, and it's valued at $250,000. So he unrolled the rug and he kept it in his office. And it it wasn't quite as ugly to him anymore. Once he knew the value of it, he appreciated it much more. Seeing the value in something helps us appreciate it, doesn't it? Seeing the value in people changes the way we see people. The world did not see value in someone like Mary, but God did. 
And God places the value on someone as lowly as Mary and works through her. And she said, you've been mindful of that, of that lowly position that I'm in. In verse 49, she says, The mighty one has done great things for me, and holy is his name. His mercy, extend, his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. In verse 51, he has shown strength with his arm and scattered the proud and the thoughts of their hearts. And in verse 52 is when the song gets a little dangerous, especially if the wrong people hear these lyrics. For he has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. Who was on a throne? Maybe your first thought is the man who was on a throne in Rome, which was Caesar Augustus, which we'll talk about in a few weeks. But probably what she had in mind when she talks about thrones was the man who was considered the king of the Jews at that time, which was Herod the Great. If you read from Matthew chapters 1 and 2, you see that Herod was so threatened by the birth of this king, Jesus, that he has all the boys under the age of two killed. But Mary's song says that those who are seated on thrones, he's going to take them off their thrones. He's going to bring them down. And who he's going to lift up? He's going to lift up the lowly, people like Mary. In verse 53, she says, He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. Probably referring to rich oppressors. Mary's song is very similar to Hannah's song in the Old Testament. In 1 Samuel chapter 2, Hannah has a prayer, or maybe we call it Hannah's song, and her words are very similar. She says in 1 Samuel chapter 2 verse 5, For those who were full hire themselves out for food, but for those who are hungry, hunger no more. And then she says he raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the trash dump, from the ash heap. He seats them with princes and has them inherit an honor, a throne of honor. So Mary's song is very similar to Hannah's song where there's this great reversal taking place that those who are full, who are well-fed, who are rulers, who are oppressors, who are sitting on thrones, there's coming a time when they're going to be dethroned and then people like Mary who come from nowhere and come from nothing, they're going to be lifted up. That's why it's called the great reversal. But this isn't just Mary's story. This is Jesus' story as well. This is where Jesus comes from. This is where God chooses for Jesus to come from. And then 30 years later, when he begins his ministry, he says things like, blessed are the poor. Blessed are those who mourn. And Jesus, in his own teachings, you see that in Luke chapter 6, There's this reversal taking place in Jesus' ministry. And you see some of that, like a prequel to it in Mary's song and Mary's story. So she ends her song in verse 54 and 55. He has helped a servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, according to the promise he made to our ancestors, to Abraham and to his descendants forever. So she ends her song in a similar way, Zechariah who remembers that God has remembered them, he has remembered their covenant, and that's the end of Mary's song. This song, in the last century, has been banned in three different countries, three different governments. Once in India, once in Argentina, and once in Guatemala. 
In the 1980s, the impoverished masses in Guatemala were connecting with Mary's song. In fact, Mary's song kind of became the song revolution for them, and they would sing it in the streets. But the government got wind of this, and they thought, you know what? I don't like that this song gives preferential treatment to the poor, so they just banned the song. So here we are, 2,000 years later, people are still singing Mary's song in worship services, and there's countries, there's governments that are banning the singing of this song because it's politically subversive. And earthly thrones become threatened. Through this story, through Mary saying yes, we see God working and God expressing his love to the world. And what he was willing to do and to become to reach us, to save us. But what we see in Mary's song and stories, I think we also see part of our mission. And sometimes I wonder, do we see people the way that God sees people? Do we see the Marys in our own church, in our own community? Or do sometimes we fail to recognize who those Marys are? Because we're so conditioned to think from a physical, fleshly point of view that we miss people that maybe God has favored. A little while back, I was talking to a good friend that I grew up with, and we were just talking about things we would have done different had we know what we know now. Anybody else feel that way? If you, knowing what you know now, going back to your childhood, there's probably a few things you would have done different. So I was talking about how I would have taken school more serious and blah, blah, blah. I had all these thoughts, and I said, what would you have done different? And his answer surprised me. He said, if we could do it different, we should have reached out to Sharonda. That means nothing to you, but to me, I knew exactly what he meant. Sharonda was this girl that grew up with us, and she had this terrible skin disease. I don't even know what it's called. But when she was coming down the hallway, you could smell her. Like her skin smelled bad. It hurt her. She couldn't even wear her own backpack. Somebody had to help her carry her backpack around. So guess what? Students made fun of her because that's what happens sometimes. I never joined in on that. I never once made fun of her. But what my friend Jeff was pointing out is that neither one of us ever reached out to her either. We just played it safe and stepped back. And he said, if we could do it over, we should have reached out to her. And I was like, you know what, you're right. Somebody who never became a favorite at that dance that I told you about. She was never voted in as one of the class favorites, but I guarantee you she was favored by God. You see, Mary comes from this lowly place in life, and that influences Jesus' own ministry. That's why he comes on the scene and he says, blessed are the poor. Blessed are those who are hurting. And then we see in Jesus a man who's willing to touch lepers, speak with women, reach out to Samaritans, compliment the faith of Gentiles. We see it echoed throughout Jesus' life and teachings. And we see the hope that's given to us. Sometimes we wind up putting too much hope in earthly kingdoms. But in the words of Gabriel to Mary, Jesus is going to have a kingdom, and his kingdom will never end. It's a message of the kingdom of God. It's a great reversal, but it's an opportunity for us. It's an opportunity for mission and ministry, and it's an opportunity for life, to be a part of a better kingdom. 
Uh, this morning, we're going to sing a few more songs. And when we do this, you know, we always offer an invitation. If you want to come up front, you can do that. Or there's shepherds that will be in the back, and you can go find them privately and pray with them. And I know that may sound routine as I say that, but we just hope that if you need something today, that you will be willing to take advantage of this opportunity. If you would, stand up and let's continue to sing 